Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. Welcome, everyone, to this bonus episode of Sound Practice. Today, we join the conversation around COVID-19. Amidst ghastly news on all fronts, the world focuses its attention and hopes upon the medical community. Those hopes, as we will hear today, are not misplaced. And in this bonus episode, you will be speaking, Mike, with Dr. Peter Alperin. He's a practicing internist and vice president of Doximity, and we're going to hear Dr. Alperin's thoughts on technology and telemedicine as they relate to battling COVID-19. Tothi, I hope our audience finds this interview helpful. Here's Peter Alpern. Welcome to this bonus episode of Sound Practice. We are very fortunate today to have Dr. Peter Alpern, who is the Vice President of Doximity, and he is also a board-certified internist practicing in San Francisco. Peter, thank you for being with us. Hey, thank you for having me. Maybe the place to start in the rare event that someone is unfamiliar with Doximity, could you please give us a little bit of background on the organization, what you all do? Absolutely. Doximity is an online professional network of clinicians comprised primarily of physicians, but also nurse practitioners, physician assistants, and other uh, healthcare professionals. We offer a variety of uh, services that allow physicians to communicate more freely, uh, keep up on the latest uh, medical news, uh, earn free CME, uh, and use communication tools that allow a HIPAA compliant communication across a variety of platforms. Great. It comes as no surprise to you or your audience that we're going to be um, speaking today about COVID-19 or the coronavirus and the, all the attention that the world has uh, has placed upon it. As you know, back in end of January on the 30th, the World Health Organization declared outbreak of a public health emergency of international concern. And the following day, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar declared a public health emergency for the United States. What I'm interested in because of your expertise, Peter, is can you talk about the role of technology and in ease of communication and how that plays into combating COVID-19. Absolutely. So communication is the centerpiece of good healthcare. Um, it's, I mean, in a lot of ways you can describe medicine as like a number of other fields as an information specialty. If you can't communicate freely, clearly, easily, uh, you're going to have a drop in the quality of care. In particular, with this emerging epidemic, where pandemic, where things are changing hour to hour, day to day, uh, certainly, you know, having the ability to communicate that information easily and quickly across a variety of platforms is critical. So um, there's a variety. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different things that physicians are doing that is where technology is enabling what they are able to perform. So remote uh, evaluation using telehealth, as uh, we've, I think we'll be addressing later, uh, is really a key modality because it gives, it allows that expertise to be spread more freely. And then if you think about this, not just from the United States, but from a worldwide perspective, um, a lot of expertise is disproportionately 
um, allocated where there's many places in the world where they don't have infectious disease specialists and they don't have a lot of expertise that would be required. Um, and then remote monitoring, remote diagnosis, remote evaluation can really come into play. It also protects the healthcare workers who maybe can evaluate a patient to a, a very significant extent without needing to be next to them, although there really is ultimately no substitute for being with the patient. Um, so uh, there's a variety of different things where technology helps and, uh, you know, here at Doximity, we're just excited to be part of that solution. Excellent. So let's talk about quarantining because we're hearing a lot about that, whether it's somebody who's on a, a prolonged cruise ship uh, adventure or otherwise. Quarantine is certainly a, a prime tool for restricting the spread of, of epidemics and research related to quarantining of individuals in response to, you may remember this severe acute respiratory syndrome or SARS, showed that a high, a high prevalence of uh, psychological distress to being quarantined. Um, one study I read showed 30% of those uh, studied uh, exhibited some symptoms of PTSD or, or depression. In your mind, and I know that this is an educated guess as opposed to having a, a, a scientific study ready to pull out of your back pocket, but could social media and telemedicine possibly mitigate these psychological effects of quarantining? Yeah, I mean, the quarantine period, uh, first of all, quarantining is exactly, as you said, is a prime uh, tool that we have in slowing the spread of, of any epidemic disease, uh, and particularly COVID-19, which is which has a really very, very uh, contagious uh, and virulent. Um, and quarantining buys you the most precious thing that you have, which is time. So, but being in isolation, I've never been in isolation, uh, but being in isolation is very stressful uh, for, mo for many, many people. And being able to communicate uh, with the outside world can really help um, mitigate many of those issues. So social media, um, video conferencing, et cetera, um, I know that there's reports I've been reading over the weekend of people keeping in touch with family and friends through Facebook and through, uh, you know, other media platforms. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I would think to your point that these technologies will help people, um, you know, stay grounded, stay in touch with the people that they love, the people that they trust, so that um, they can, uh, you know, maintain um, <laughs> some level of, of sanity and, and the ability to, to cope with you know, it can be pretty daunting situations. Uh, you know, here in San Francisco, the, the cruise ship is probably docking as we speak um, in Oakland, and there's 3,000 passengers aboard, or 3,500, uh, and they've been cramped up, and they're going to be probably set for another at least 14 days of quarantine um, uh, at an off-site location. So, again, using these technologies, in particular social media and video conferencing, I think are going to be critical to helping uh, people uh, just manage themselves over the next few weeks. Have there been any studies, to your knowledge, that look at uh, the veracity or truthfulness of patients via telemedicine as opposed to in-clinic uh, type of, uh, of situations? I guess what I'm, I'm wondering is with, with quarantining and everything that's going on, there's certainly going to be some folks that don't want to self-disclose certain facts for fear of what that that implies, right? Which is a problem for the overall health system. And we certainly know that patients withhold information. As an internist on a daily basis, you probably have patients that withhold some information, whether it's critical or not to their treatment, um, for fear of whatever, that it would become public. 
or, or embarrass them, or in this situation, uh, force them to be quarantined for some periods of time. Do you think that there's any difference uh, whether that's done in a remote telemedicine format or whether it's done in person in a clinical situation? Um, that's an interesting question. So my gut tells me that, that it probably wouldn't have any significant effect. Ultimately, what, uh, what enables a patient to share everything with their, their physician or their clinician is the trust that they've developed with that, with that physician. Um, it's the benefit of knowing your doctor. You've mm -hmm. helped you, you've known them for a period of time and you've developed that, that level of trust. Um, whether you're talking to that physician in person or over the phone or through a video tool, it really wouldn't change that. Um, so I think in this situation, I think you're going to have probably physicians who are maybe have not seen those, those patients before um, and whether they're having that first interaction with them in the emergency room uh, in their own office or via telemedicine probably wouldn't, but I'll be candid. I don't, there may be studies out there that, that, did talk about that that I'm not familiar with, but my gut tells me that the modality of communication shouldn't impact things too much. It's really the familiarity and the trust that they have with that position. I would also think that there are going to be a, a group of cohort of, of patients out there that would um, simply like to avoid hospitals and clinical situations thinking maybe we don't have this and the best place to pick it up would be going to get checked out for some other situation and maybe this promotes overall public health by having uh, access via telemedicine is that something your organization has thought about or do you agree with me on that yeah absolutely i think i think that's an excellent point and i think um you know, I don't know about data, but there's definitely truth to that in my mind. Uh, people, there's no reason. So we let's take a step back. When patients are sick, you know, the place you try to get them out of in a lot of ways, oftentimes prior to this, you know, this epidemic is you don't want to be in the hospital because if you're sick, you're, you're bringing people together who are probably have other illnesses and are more likely mm. to capture that. And, and we used to say that the bacteria and things that can live in the hospital are pretty tough customers because hospitals are sanitized and there's antibiotics everywhere. Um, so in this particular case, being able to diagnose someone in a sterile environment where you don't have to um, is, a, is a huge benefit. And then from the patient's perspective, the anxiety that they might have by going to the emergency room, et cetera. I have to caution though, it, it, I would certainly not want a patient to not go to the emergency room because they're afraid of it if they truly think that they're infected. Um, you know, the number one thing to do is to call your public health department um, and those groups, I, I heard just a, a thing on the radio this morning from a local public health department talking about their protocols and procedures and they're doing the vast majority of that initial screening over the phone and then using that, um, you know, then using those answers to those questions to determine who needs to come in and then they're being brought to a, typically not the emergency room, they're being brought to a, a sort of a sterile site. Um, of course, patients can walk in at any time and patients do all sorts of things. But um, I think your point's well taken that um, being able to use technology and different communication protocols to keep people um, away from places that they feel could be just a site of transmission, particularly if they're not even sure that they have it, is a really key one. So Congress has recently, within the last few days, passed an 83 billion dollar emergency response bill to help fight or combat COVID-19. Can you talk about how the bill promotes the use of 
telemedicine and what uh, your feelings are about it? Yeah. Um, so the Medicare Act, as you mentioned, was passed pretty quickly. Uh, and one of those rare cases where there was more money than anybody asked for, which is a good thing uh, in this particular case. Um, so that, that, that was a positive uh, development. And then specifically for telehealth, the, the bill authorizes a certain subset of that money to be applied towards Medicare patients so that physicians can bill for telehealth services um, in ways that they weren't able to do uh, before the bill. Um, so it clarifies certain billing elements so that physicians can feel confident that the time they spend with patients they'll get reimbursed for, uh, which is critical so that uh, there's plenty of people available to help have those conversations. Um, so clarifying that is a good thing. And, you know, as a personal aside, I hope that it lasts beyond this epidemic, which there will be a beyond, because uh, telehealth services bring a tremendous amount of value to Medicare beneficiaries. I agree with you on that. And we don't have the perspective of, of distance on this, but it does seem quite possible that one of the legacies of this epidemic pandemic may be the expansion of telemedicine services on a more permanent uh, basis, which, uh, or at least acceleration of, of telemedicine. And at Doximity, you all have, have done some nice work studying telemedicine, and you, and you did a, uh, a study from the time period of 2015 to 18, if, I, if I'm correct, um, talking about the use of telemedicine and the adoption of it. And you are the better person than me to describe this uh, study. Could you Tell me about Doximity's telemedicine study. Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, we did a study, uh, a survey study of physicians um, and asked them a, a variety of questions related to telemedicine. Um, and what did we think that it was, um, you know, how were, they, how were they benefiting from it? And what did they think about it in general? Um, so the key findings were that we found that the number of physicians who self-reported telemedicine as a skill doubled. Uh, during that time period of 2015 to 2018, and we've subsequent, subsequently found that that, that number is increasing at 20% per year. And then when analyzing, you know, physician job seekers, both men and women were more interested in non-telemedicine jobs. However, the gap in that engagement rate for telemedicine job postings was 10% higher for women than for men. So that, um, you know, there's obviously interest in, in employment in general, but that telemedicine is really increasing robustly. Um, uh, it was across physicians by all ages, uh, so there was not a particular age band that was more or less interested. Um, and we also saw that physicians were engaged in locum tenens and temporary work um, as well. Um, I think what this really points to is just a general sort of an evolution of how physicians are thinking about their jobs. Um, it's no secret that there's more women who've entered the workplace, um, and certainly that's true in physician in the physician world. Um, actually, I think it was last year that the majority of medical students are now women, not men. Um, and they've created a lot of, in my opinion, very good changes related to how physicians relate with their, with their jobs. Um, and then in terms of the telemedicine specifically, um, we think, I mean, the, the study wasn't designed to really determine necessarily a lot of the whys. It was just more of an observational study. Um, but really what it shows is that, met, that telemedicine is being embraced by the medical community and that um, older physicians at first who maybe weren't as interested are really embracing it. Um, and if you have anecdotal conversations with many of those physicians, um, they like it for a couple of reasons. Number one, it allows them to practice for longer uh, because they can do it from the comfort of their home. 
uh, and they can do it at a lower price point if they didn't they don't have to maintain rent or whatever if they don't have an office anymore and then those physicians who are still in practice it's a great way to supplement maybe time that that is not being seen used to see patients uh, in their office they can block off time and, and they can have these times scheduled uh, to see patients it's also interesting you can see patients from a much um, larger catchment area um, so you can see perhaps cases that uh, you aren't seeing in your own area and exercise certain parts of your diagnostic brain that you haven't done before. Um, and then also from a, you know, just from a satisfaction perspective, if you can bring some skills you have, and this is particularly true for subspecialists, to areas of the country where subspecialties are, are hard to recruit. So, you know, areas in the Great Plains in particular, uh, other parts in rural areas where it can be really hard to find a dermatologist or really difficult to find a kidney specialist. You can bring those skills and expertise to areas that um, really are having an incredibly difficult time and that, you know, that's a really good thing and a positive development. Um, so I just think there's a lot of reasons as to why uh, telemedicine is evolving and the fact that it's also physicians, if they really uh, are setting things up correctly, can maintain even exceed their incomes that they were doing because uh, that they were making when they had their uh, an office practice. Um, because, you know, from a certain perspective, a lot of the, the, the bottom line is lower because many of the expenses are lower. So there's a variety of different reasons as to why people do it, but I think more and more physicians are finding ways to fit it into their existing practice. I was fascinated by the idea that, that the telemedicine actually helps hone clinical skills because you're seeing a, a, a greater catchment area, or at least that that's possible. Yeah. Interesting, interesting point. What, what about volume of, of patients? Roughly the same a day practicing telemedicine the same as a day in the clinic as far as a volume of patients or uh, are you seeing able to see more because of efficiency through telemedicine um it's a it's probably a little bit more um i don't know that it's exponentially more um but you're able to see more from a certain perspective because you can just flip from one to the other there can be hang-ups too right if people don't get the technology to work or what have you although mm. That's really not the, that's not so common anymore now that those platforms have gotten really, really good. Um, but uh, yeah, you can, you can do that and patients, but you still have some of the same issues, right? Patients don't show up and there's always those sorts of things. Um, but it's definitely more efficient because you as the physician um, are able to just really snap from one patient to another. Um, and of course, it's, there's, there's no office rent. <laughs> <laughs> Which is in the Bay Area, I'm sure a great thing. <laughs> All right. What do you think in your mind are breaks on telemedicine? What's slowing down the, the progress? I think traditionally it has been reimbursement. Are there other factors that you think, and maybe they're falling away, but just in general? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned reimbursement. I think that is, uh, that is I, I was going to say slowly but surely, but I think um, more rapidly getting fixed um, you're having more and more payers that are, are at very much embracing this and they're getting, they're embracing it not only because they're the people who buy their insurance policies, the employers are pushing for it, but also because they're recognizing that it's a very efficient way uh, for them to be able to build up a network of physicians um, in ways that they couldn't before, because that's one mm. of the key things that an insurance company or a healthcare uh, provider needs to do is provide a complete set of, of physician skills uh, and nurse practitioner skills for their, uh, their insured population and telemedicine allows them to do that very robustly. Um, so that's one of the barriers that is, is, is melting away. Um, the other one is that the technology is getting better. Um, so uh, the, 
the ability to create, have the, just the nuts and bolts of that, of that evaluation and that meeting are better. And then last, I think patients themselves are um, embracing it. You know, at first they were maybe a little wary. I have to, there, there's the certain expectation that when you go to the physician, they'll do a physical exam and that whole interaction you know, the interaction with your healthcare provider is very cultural to a certain perspective. There's a certain expectation for how things are supposed to go, getting shown into the room, you know, uh, having the physician check you with their stethoscope, having that conversation with the physician um, right there in person. Um, and telemedicine is a little bit different, um, but I think people are getting used to it in the way they have all other aspects of technology that we have over the past 20, 30 years. Um, so that's critical. And then, um, you know, physicians themselves, like we were just talking about before, are able to um, weave this into their practice in a way where it doesn't have to be an all or none thing. They can have both aspects um, and that allows them to sort of scratch all those itches at the same time. So um, I think there's a lot of things that are really moving uh, telemedicine in the right direction. Early on in our conversation, um, you mentioned that Doximity's uh, products are HIPAA high tech compliant. And some have raised concerns, not about proximity, but have generally raised concerns that HIPAA and the High Tech Act may impede communications between patients and providers because of the need for encryption or secure transmission. Uh, is this a legitimate concern? How does, how, yeah, how would you address uh, this? So as you mentioned, uh, Doximity uh, is a HIPAA compliant platform. And you know we take we make all the safeguards necessary so that we can have that secure communication platform. At, at a more general level, yeah, I mean in general, it's easier to be unregulated than it is to be regulated. But I would say that there are certain aspects of the HIPAA and High Tech Acts which are there for a reason. This is critical information. It's sensitive information, and I don't think most people want their medical records being easily displayed across the internet, so to speak. Not that that's happening at all, but. Um, so I do think it makes you have to think about certain things and use platforms which are HIPAA compliant and have gone through those, those steps. But I think a lot of that stuff is getting more and more streamlined. You have companies out there, for instance, that um, build an entire server network in the cloud that is all HIPAA compliant because there's certain regulations that pertain to where the servers are and all sorts of stuff. And I'm not an expert on this by any means. Um, it, so it has become much easier to be able to do that. As an example, Amazon uh, AWS has a whole, a whole section of their cloud platform, which is meets all of the regulations, et cetera. So if you're a company in this world, you can access that. There's a lot more to HIPAA, not just where your servers are located, but that's just one example of the things that are um, helping, um, et cetera. Excellent. As, as we look forward to dealing with COVID-19 or the, the coronavirus what do you see in the in the near term for responses uh, from from a technology standpoint um well i think it's early days of this epidemic in the united states uh and i think it's probably you know overall numbers wise is going to get worse before it gets better uh, i don't think that's that's going out on the limb and i think technology is really going to be is is going to be used and is currently being used to empower uh, physicians and other healthcare personnel, nurses, et cetera, uh, to be able to take better care of patients. And the, the, the part that just comes to mind immediately is patients who are in isolation being able to, uh, you know, remotely check their vital signs, 
uh, being able to do a fair amount of the work across the door, if you will. An isolation room is is a very isolated area where the negative pressure and all sorts of things mm -hmm. about how they maintain the air. And uh, so a lot of these communication protocols and, and tools, remote robots, if you will, will allow those personnel to take care of more patients or at least do it in a, in a safer manner. Excellent. I've been speaking with Dr. Peter Alperin, who is the vice president of Doximity Inc. He's also a board certified internist practicing in the San Francisco area. And we're very uh, pleased to have had you on sound practice today. Doctor, thank you for your time and your great insight. Um, and also for the work that Doximity is doing in helping uh, address uh, the situation our country's presently faced with. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you for the opportunity to be able to talk about this important topic. We appreciate it. We hope you've enjoyed this bonus episode, and if you did, please consider rating us on our website, soundpracticepodcast.com, or on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Yes, we would certainly like that. And if you would want to give us feedback directly or make a suggestion about the podcast, please email us at feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com. And please join us next time on Sound Practice. Don't forget, we release our regularly scheduled episodes every other Wednesday. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Pat is holy cow. Batman and Robin. Rick Kapow.